I love having my mind stretched about what's going on out here. I love all of the discussions about how do we make peace among ourselves. But if we fail to make peace with nature, nothing else matters. You know, we have to breathe. We have to be able to maintain the stability of a planet that works in our favor. That has to be as basic as, you know, as kids, you learn the alphabet, you learn your numbers. Where do we learn? You've got to take care of the natural world that keeps us alive. So, in the ocean, it's not just the collapse of tunas and swordfish, sharks, herring, cod, you name the fish that you most like to munch on. Consider where it was 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. Look at it. Here's the trend. We're so good at catching and killing and consuming. When are we going to realize that there are limits to what we can take out of the natural world, whether it's on the land, but now certainly in the ocean, to realize the consequences back to us? Think of the carbon cycle. <laughs> Whoever thought about that 50 years ago? or even 20 years ago, right now, some people are, I am, if you, if you care about the, the direction that the, the natural world, our life support system is going, you will think about the carbon cycle, about carbon capture, carbon storage. You, you have a long view of the geolo geologist's view of the world. That, well, the world, you might say, it's always changed. We've had ice ages coming and going throughout as far back as we can contract. There are times when Earth has been a snowball, times when all the ice is gone. So what's different? And so the world is changing. Why should we care? It's the speed of change, and it's what's driving the change. Look in the mirror. That cartoon character of, when was it, the 60s, Pogo, the possum, held up the mirror and said, we have found the enemy, and it's us. <laughs> we are causing the changes that threaten our very existence. Of course, threaten the economy. Of course, threaten our health. Of course, threaten our security. But fundamentally, if you like to breathe, if you really care about the existence of humans as this phenomenon in the universe, as something special, then we have to take action while there's still time to reverse these downhill trends of loss and changing the nature of nature to be able to take what remains of the sharks. Stop killing them. Why are we killing sharks? For shark fin soup, for macho meal, for whatever? What have sharks ever done to us? Well, once in a while they munch on one or two of us a year, but you know, it's not fair. We, we, um, we kill millions of them every year. Hundreds of millions of sharks in the last 10 years have been slaughtered for shark fin soup or for sport or for whatever other reasons or caught incidentally in nets that are really designed or hooks designed to catch tuna or other things. There are thousands of miles of long lines in the oceans of the world designed to catch wildlife. Imagine if, if it were on the land, if we took, if we, if we were inclined to extract what remains of the birds and the mammals on the land, the same way we continue now 
to extract wildlife from the sea. So what do I hope from a chance to sit down here and look at one of the brainiest group of people I've ever had the pleasure of sharing a room with? I, I just hope that you will use whatever powers you have to put in perspective the question of our relationship with the natural world and to perhaps put it on the balance sheet along with all these other important issues and to realize that we have a chance right now. We know that it works when you protect the systems that have taken all preceding history to get into play, the old growth forests, whether it's on the land or in the ocean. Now, we don't know how to make them, but we do know how to protect them and give such places a chance to restore and recover the places that have been depleted. But if we lose the ingredients, the extinction of species, we are, again, it's not just about losing sharks or whales or redwood trees or whatever it is. It's about the components of our life support system that make it possible for us to survive. And the only place that we will ever know as home, at least for seven billion people or more or less, I'm confident we'll have outposts someday if we keep our act together on the moon, Mars, and maybe elsewhere. But it's not an alternative to Earth. If we go to Mars, we have to take our life support system with us. There is water there, but not an ocean that maintains a planet that works in our favor. We talk about terraforming Mars while at the same time we're Marsiforming Earth putting more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, destroying the capacity of this planet to maintain the things that we care about. So in the ocean, I have witnessed the decline of coral reefs by about half in the time when I first began to dive. I, I had a moment of insight, I suppose, two years ago when I met an albatross at an island, Midway Island, known to those of you who follow uh, wartime activities. This was a bird, an albatross, sitting on her lone egg of the year, a laysan albatross. <laughs> and she was banded back in the 1950s. We know that she is a, a, at least 62 years old. She began to fly at about the same time I was learning how to dive. And I thought about what that bird had seen in her lifetime and what I had seen in mine. She and her mate, they fly over literally thousands of miles of ocean. They do it in order to get food and mostly squid and small fish that they bring back to feed their hungry chick of the year and of course themselves. But the changes in the ocean, more ships, more noise, more aircrafts over, overhead, fewer fish, fewer squid, all the stuff we've been putting in the ocean, clogging our life support system. You think somehow if you put things in the ocean, it goes away, but it doesn't. It stays there, there is no away in the ocean. So plastic especially, something that didn't exist when I was a kid. I come from the pre-plasticozoic.
And so where is it going? She may wonder. She certainly must recognize that the world has changed. She doesn't know why. And even if she did know why, wouldn't know what to do about it. Well, I am burdened with knowing. It's one of those things that humans now know more than, than anyone could know even 50 years ago, let alone a 1,000. Our decisions that have consumed the natural world to the point of collapse were not made because we want to destroy the natural world. It isn't because we don't care. It's because we didn't know it mattered. But now we know it matters. We can't use as an excuse anymore that, that we can get away with putting noxious things into the atmosphere that are warming the planet. Carbon dioxide is necessary for photosynthesis, but too much of a good thing causes problems like warming the planet and causing the ocean to become more acid. We're changing the chemistry of the ocean and therefore the chemistry of the planet. I was so <laughs> thrilled last night to hear Dr. Weil talk about the chemistry of our own bodies and the new knowledge, the new insight about microbes that rule everything, well, in the planet as a whole. We couldn't breathe but for those mighty microbes that after a billion years or so, photosynthesis came, came it to be, and that changed everything. We now have more oxygen in the atmosphere than, than existed a billion years ago even half a billion years ago. Our job is to hold the planet steady, you know? We're on this little blue speck rocketing through the universe, and it's in trouble. That means we're in trouble, fundamentally. It is so important that we think about the security issues, it's so important that we think about food, so important we think about the, the, the conflicts, about poverty, about population continuing to rise, but a first priority must be to take care of the natural systems that take care of us. And we haven't done a very good job of that. In the ocean, a fraction of 1% of the ocean is really safe for the creatures who live there. About 3% has some form of protection, like the so-called marine sanctuaries here in California, where fishing continues pretty much the way it does outside the protected areas. There has to be deliberate protection of land and sea, of the systems and the creatures that make up our life support system. It's getting better. Little nation of Palau has taken action just this year to protect their entire exclusive economic zone from large-scale industrial fishing and all the destructive practices that go along with it. Other island nations, similarly, are beginning to look at their newly uh, claimed blue backyard. You know, the whole idea that humans have, we've carved up the land, now we're carving up the ocean. It wasn't until the 1980s that the exclusive economic zone going out 200 miles became a policy that people around the world have acknowledged. And the United States, you know, more than half of it is underwater. I don't mean economically, uh, that too, maybe. <laughs> But it's you know out there 200 miles, if you draw a line around our coastline, there's another whole country out there. All countries that have a coast. For some, like Costa Rica, 
10 times the size of the land is, is water. But we now have not only opportunities, we have responsibilities to take action while there's still time to do what those early in the 20th century began to do for the land. We can now do it armed with knowledge, armed with knowing why it matters, that we protect the wild things, that we protect what goes in <laughs> and what, take, what, what comes out, protect the, the transport of, of ships across the surface because it matters. I say we know these things. That is known, but it isn't widely known. The knowledge is there. The problem, the biggest problem, now facing the ocean, is not what we're putting in, although that's a problem, not what we're taking out, although that's a big problem. It's the ignorance that most people have about why the ocean matters to them. I mean, who cares if the ocean dries up tomorrow? Who cares? Why should anybody care? Well, now we know, or it is known, that the ocean should and does matter to everyone, even people who have never seen the ocean, never touched the ocean. They're touched by the ocean with every breath you take, every drop of water you drink. And now is the moment, as never before, because we didn't know, as never again, because we are at tipping points with respect to our changes that could affect everything we care about. So I'm really pleased to have a chance to be here and sound off a little bit to speak for the fish. I feel like the Lorax, you know? <laughs> Actually, I feel like Cassandra, who could see the future. Well, I'm not special in that. I just look at the evidence. Just look at the trends. Anybody can do this, and little kids are doing this. They're asking questions about what are you doing to take care of a planet that's warming? What are you doing to take care of the coral reefs that are dying? What are you doing? And that's the question, I guess, that I will pose to you. What not only can we do, what are we doing? How can we motivate taking more seriously the issues of protecting the ocean as if our lives depend on it? Because they do. Thank you.